Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, George Wilder Jr. All right, we are totally on the air. Sorry about the dead air, folks. We're just getting back. Uh, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show, everybody. And uh, it's a beautiful day here in the city of Chicago. It's dark, it's cold, but it's beautiful. And we are on the air, and I am so, so proud of that. Um, Let's see what we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah, man. The, um, Chicago Bulls fired their coach. I, I don't know what's with management or the ownership of these teams firing these coaches. I'm not, this is not a sports show. So, so you can probably see I don't know much about what I'm talking about, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. I don't know what's up with some of, some of, some of, of these uh, management uh, management around America, around uh, here, uh, uh, ownership. What's up with these folks firing these coaches in the middle of the season? I can see if a lot of these coaches waited until the season was over and then axed a lot of these coaches with uh, treacherous uh, winning records. Uh, Horborg, Fred Horborg was uh, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he was five and nineteen. The Bulls are horrible. 
Chicago Bulls are just horrible. Every, it, they can't buy a win right now. But the league should at least try to show some sort of respect for these guys. I mean, they were coaching before, you know. When I say coaches, I'm also talking about NFL. Uh, I mean, because uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, the coach for uh, the Green Bay Packers, he was fired. Mike somebody, I can't recall his last name, but I'll get it later on. He was fired from the Green Bay Packers over the weekend because of their treacherous record. Now they're going to bring in another coach. Aaron Rodgers is the highest paid quarterback in the league. And I could understand management saying to themselves, well, we're paying this guy all of this money and – He's not, you know, giving us any results. They're losing. So they're going to go fire the coach. And they're going to bring in another coach uh, to try to light a fire under Aaron Rodgers because they're giving him so much money. I'm, I'm thinking it's the same way with Fred Holberg of the Chicago Bulls. They done fired him. Uh, but my understanding, uh, reading an article, my understanding is that they're not going to look for another coach. They're just going to fire they're just going to hire um, an assistant coach or something to that effect. We got, I got to get, get more out of the article. But anyway, these two coaches so far that I know of uh, have been fired in the middle of the season. I mean, it's like saying that it's like saying you're not producing. So get out. I mean, this is basically what it's saying. I mean, these folks are under contract. I think they're going to have to, you know, buy out, uh, pay off these, pay off the rest of their contracts regardless. But still in all, I mean, they're not going to go away broke. They're not going to go away hungry. They're not going to go away uh, uh, before a job. But, you know, Fred Holberg, he'll probably land on his feet somewhere else. I'm pretty sure uh, the coach um, for the uh, – Green Bay Packers, I mean, he's going to quickly land on his feet. He's going to quickly find another job. But I don't know if I would want to be a coach in the NFL. Uh, The way they treat coaches, the way they just up and just fire them without even, you know, I mean, before they can bat their eye. I mean, this is putting a lot of coaches on notice around the league and in probably every league, NFL, uh, MBL, National Major League Baseball, uh, hockey. I mean, they fired the hockey coach here in in, in Chicago. They fired they, they fired this guy so fast we didn't even know he was fired. He was gone. <laughs> uh, and as soon as they fired, I forget his name. This is um, Joe Quindle. Yeah, they fired him. I mean, they fired him so fast we didn't even know he was gone until we looked up and saw another coach. And uh, right now, the Blackhawks are the worst team in the NFL. And I'm I'm contributing to the firing of this coach. I mean, I thought he was a good guy. He, I mean, he knew hockey. He's going to land on his feet, no doubt about that. I mean, he's going to land with another job. But the the problem here is, these three coaches were just up and abruptly fired as if, get the fuck out. You know, I mean, they, they were like, get the fuck out. And they have no other choice but to go. 
and it, it it's just amazing uh how management ownership do are doing uh to the coaches the way they getting rid of them i mean there is no more waiting till the end of the season to fire someone they fire you right there in the middle of the season right there while you are still uh trying to find your footing when it comes to winning games but but it proves uh, that you have to produce in this country. If you want to make it in this world, you have to produce. You have to, uh, you have to show results. You have to, and they have to be positive results, great results, great results on the good side. <laughs> you have to show results or you're out. Uh, same way with any job, I guess, at, at any level uh, in uh, in life. I mean, you have to produce. You have to uh, show results. You have to be good at what you do, and you have to uh, show results or you're out. Everybody loves you when you're doing well. Everybody wants to be around you when you're doing good and you having great results. Nobody wants to uh, touch you if you're losing, if you're down on your luck, if you can't produce, if there's no results, they have no mercy for you. They have no compassion. They have no empathy. They have in- nothing. Get out. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, it, it's a cold world. It's a cold world. And these guys are high profile. They're they're famous. They're known all over uh, the world if not just America, but they're known. And I mean, they're not broke. I mean, most of them are rich or, or borderlining on being rich, but the steal, the steal and all, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you do not have. It's just, there's just a way to do things. I think I agree with Tony Dungy when he was saying that uh, the coach, there should have been a way uh, of doing it. it you you shouldn't be fired over the internet you shouldn't be fired uh via twitter or something like that what happened to calling a person into the office sitting them down and just giving him or her their severance pay instead of firing them firing them you know out in public or you know in the public arena where it's embarrassing you know embarrassing uh, as I've said before, I don't think I could be a coach in the NFL or any league around the country because, I mean, uh, not when I think about how they uh, uh, totally disrespect you by the way they fire you. Even it, maybe you you don't even deserve firing. I don't think uh, the coach for the uh, Green Bay Packers deserved to be fired. I mean, this guy had a lot of. Uh, notches on his belt he wasn't just a i mean i mean he had maybe one or two bad seasons and all of a sudden the management wants to get rid of him or 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 to that effect or ownership wants to get rid of him and hire someone else you know uh i i think the packers even with uh, aaron Rodgers, i think they've seen their day i've seen i think they've seen their day i, I think i think the nfl uh firing joel quindle I think they've seen their day. I don't, I don't think the Blackhawks are ever going to win another Stanley Cup. I do think that uh, – I don't think the White Sox are going to get anywhere. 
with this uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the manager of the White Sox. This this guy's been managing the White Sox for three or four years, and they haven't even gone to the playoffs, but he's still there. But uh, you know, <laughs> I know he's quaking in his boot because he's going to be getting his last check, his paycheck, if he doesn't produce pretty soon. You know, I mean, this is just. I, I guess it's just a league where you know you know you're going to get fired if you if you don't uh, come up with some results. But I think the way they do it is just atrocious. You know, uh, firing someone in the middle of the season, firing people before they even know they are fired. They have to hear it by internet or or <laughs> or from some reporter or whatever. Or by television, you know, instead of being brought into the office, say, hey, wow, hey, John, you're, you're through. You know, get out. <laughs> All right, you've been listening to George Wilder Jr. show on uh, on Black Talk Radio. It, it's going to be intriguing to see some of these teams that where some of these coaches have been fired if they are going to start winning. Uh, they better, or the next coach or manager that the manager's uh, the ownership and managers hire, they will be out of there. It, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it is so wrong in so many ways to uh, fire someone without them even knowing that they're fired until they find out maybe, you know, through public, through the public arena somehow. It's just not good. Not good, not a good way to go out and my thoughts goes out to Joel Quindle and Mike. Uh, Mike, I can't think of his last name. The guy who was cut loose uh, from uh, the Green Bay Packers. They have a poor record, but it's not as bad as some 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 uh, other uh, uh, teams' record around the league. Around the league, uh, but um, you can just say, "Hey, wow, you know, hey." You, uh, a lot of these guys are men on their feet. Some of the team will pick them up. There's no doubt about that. But the way they were fired, as I've been alluding, the way they were fired is just is just awesome. It's appalling, I think. I really think. Donald Trump's cabinet is filled to the brim with millionaires. People who have more money than they know what to do with. And the top three wealthiest people, Betsy DeVos, Steve Mnuchin, and Wilbur Ross, they all made tens of millions of dollars while serving in the federal government just last year. According to the newly obtained financial disclosure reports of these three multimillionaire individuals, again, they each walked away with roughly tens of millions of dollars in profit. Now, some of that money did come from divesting in things that they owned, in, in stocks and other companies. They did divest a little bit of it. So they sold that off and they made money and that gets reported. But most of them didn't divest. Steve Mnuchin, believe it or not, actually did a good job divesting. Uh, the ethics uh, uh, folks show that yes, he did divest all of his stuff, but he made a ton of money selling it off or investing in others. But Betsy DeVos and Wilbur Ross didn't fully divest. In fact, they both still own stakes in companies and other businesses that directly benefit from the policies that they put in place. In fact, Wilbur Ross is facing a a massive investigation at the moment because he seems to only be using his office to make himself more money. And that's that's the takeaway here. That's the point. 
Right now in the United States, and even before Trump came into office, we have government run by millionaires for the benefit of millionaires. The federal government, the way it is right now, and this may change in January with some of these new coming Democrats in the House of Representatives, but right now, the government only works for millionaires. And it has become exceptionally bad during the years of Donald Trump now. Let me ask you this question. And please, if, you, if you've got an answer to it, comment on this video. But let me tell you, think of one thing that this administration, any agency within this administration, one thing they've done that's been for the benefit of American consumers and not to benefit a corporation. I have been covering this literally every single day since this man was sworn in and even well before that. And I can promise you, there's not one thing. There isn't one thing. There isn't one rule that Betsy DeVos's Department of Education or Steve Mnuchin as Secretary Secretary of the Treasury, excuse me, or Wilbur Ross at the Commerce Department. There isn't one rule any of these people have put in place that actually benefits consumers over corporations. Not a single one. Same thing with the EPA. They don't give a damn about people anymore. And it's the same thing with the Republicans in the House and the Senate and the White House. Now, again, the glimmer of hope is that we've got this new Democratic majority coming into the House of Representatives. We've got a lot of progressives, a lot of populists, people pulling the party to the left, denying money from corporations, working for the people. But at this point, so much damage has been done that our government only functions if you're in the top 1%. If you're in that top 1%, you're protected. Don't worry about the rules coming out of this government because they're going to be to your benefit. But if you're the rest of us, you worry about things like paying for your health insurance, paying for prescription drugs, worried about the the safety of the water that comes out of your tap every time you turn it on, worried about the quality of our food that seems to be getting recalled because of things like salmonella and E. coli every other day. You know, we can't even have a meal without worrying if it's going to poison us because we've cut funding for the FDA to actually go out there and do food inspections so that meat packers could save $12 million this year. That's actually a thing that happened, folks. That's why we've got so many salmonella and E. coli recalls right now. We're struggling. We're getting poisoned by food. We're getting poisoned in the environment. We're getting poisoned by corporations. But the top 1% is doing just fine. They don't have to deal with the same crap we do because the federal government make sure that those millionaires and billionaires are 100% protected because those millionaires and billionaires, at least right now, not only are they running the government, but they're making sure that the government only works for them. It has to be something with a Bluetooth. All righty. Welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show, everybody. We are experiencing some difficulty. I hope you hang in there with me. <laughs> and as I was just talking about the, the sports thing here, people are just... All right. I know you're hanging in there. Thank you. All 
All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. It is dark in, in the city of Chicago. I hope it's nice where you are. I hope everybody is doing well. hope everybody is fine and listening to the show here uh, as best as we can produce it for today. Uh, we, we have uh, – uh, I want to thank everybody again for once for voting. I mean, voting Blue Wave is just, is just phenomenal. We'll be right back. Else, folks, uh, a woman, 67 years old, left alone in a wheelchair at O'Hare Airport overnight. This is a 67-year-old woman left alone in a wheelchair at an at 
O'Hare Airport overnight. She's saying I was scared. 67. Can you can you imagine how? And she looks. Uh, I mean, she doesn't look. She doesn't look like she's poverty stricken or she's poor or she's you know. But she doesn't look that elderly either. But she looks 67. Of course. I mean, if you've been left in a uh, uh, airport overnight on purpose. I mean, you look like you're 95, too. You know, I mean, you would be, what the hell? And uh, she looks like she's all alone. Of course, somebody must have snapped her picture, you know. You know, because she's looking at you, what the hell? Who left her? <laughs> wow. It, it is something when you're not able to get around, you're not able to walk, you're in a wheelchair. Nobody, obviously, she must have been getting, get, getting on someone's nerves that they left her at the airport. She must have been getting on somebody's nerves. Um, you know. Wow, sixty seven year old woman left. You know, I'm I'm bank I'm betting it it it's a relative, a daughter, son or something, an auntie. Okay, sixty seven year old woman in a wheelchair was scared to death when she was left at O'Hare Airport overnight after her flight was canceled. Okay, her name is uh Olympia Warsaw. Uh, she was heading home to Detroit on Friday after attending her ex-husband's funeral in Chicago uh, because of Parkinson because of Parkinson's disease and diabetes. Warsaw was Warsaw had trouble walking and communicating. Okay, uh, so she had Parkinson's disease and she had diabetes, and because of that, she had trouble walking and communicating. Uh, who would leave her? There, uh, uh, you know, the, it's not clear if she was traveling by herself or with someone. Let's see. Warsaw's son, her son Claude, uh, made a make a getting her, uh, getting her a wheelchair and a porter. Um, he was boarding a flight to Connecticut at the same time, but walked with Warsaw and the porter to her gate before going to his. Last time I saw the plane was on time. Everything was good, she said. I mean, he said. But the flight she was set to board got canceled. And when she was returned to the front of the airport, she was not able to com- communicate with guests. She was not being, she was not being, okay, it says that she couldn't talk. She had trouble talking and communicating because of her diseases. Eventually, her porter shipped ended and she left her eventually her porter ships ended and, okay no one should have left her no one should have left her and there she sat for five hours I mean I think the porter should be in uh, hot water for this I mean I mean you don't do that you don't leave people uh, who are uh, sick who are in wheelchairs who have trouble communicating, who and you don't leave them alone. You make sure you stay with them until they've with someone, a relative, or connect with their flight or whatever. Try to help them to get them where they uh, are supposed to be, especially if they're in a wheelchair, you know, disabled like she was, you know. Um, but anyway, that's, uh, that came across my screen, and I just had to say something about that because – it was just weird. I said, "What the hell?" She's uh, and she she's an elegant looking lady. 
she she's elegant looking lady. Um, she's not African American. I'm not sure. Maybe she's Polish or something. But anyway, she says she was scared to death. She said she couldn't communicate clearly, but she co- communicated that she was scared to death. You know, everybody was moving around her. I mean, uh, uh, you know. Anyway, uh, welcome to the George Wanda Jr. Show. Uh, it's always something here. I'm I'm always uh, taken back at some of the stories that I read uh, that's going on in the world. And uh, it's always... Uh, uh, one of those things, even for me, for me to to take in so much and uh, stuff like that. Okay, woman 67 left alone in a wheelchair at O'Hare Airport overnight. And you wonder, you tell yourself, how could that happen? How could that happen? But it happened. I guess most of the things you say can't happen, won't happen, will happen. Uh, anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We are at 6.30. Is it 6.30? What time is it? It's, let me, look, let me see the watch here. 6.28 p.m. straight up Chicago time. And as I was alluding to, uh, a lot of the coaches around the league are being fired straight up. Football, basketball, NFL, hockey, you name it, they're being fired. I couldn't be a coach. I mean, I mean, the way they, I just think that's just terrible the way they treat some of these coaches around. I mean, especially if you don't win. I mean, winning is everything. Producing is everything. You know, it, you've got to win. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win. And I can understand that some of these coaches who are, who are around the league, who do not have winning records, three and eight, eight and you know, uh, five and eight and four, six and eight. I mean, these terrible records, you know, I'm pretty sure they're on eggshells. <laughs> they ought to be. They ought to be because uh, the NFL is not playing. If you, They want results. They want to see, uh, they want to see something uh, uh, in the win column. And you, and you can't really blame them because um, they are uh, paying big bucks to these managers, the players, the coaches, the assistant coaches, the uh, offensive coaches, coaches, defensive coaches, all these fucking coaches. And they want to see results. Can you blame them? Can you blame them? But in the bullshit department, in the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit... Big time, major league bullshit. You have to stand in awe. In awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these 10 things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. 
but he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all powerful, all perfect, all knowing and all wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. But I want you to know, I want you to know something, this is sincere, I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried, I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I gotta tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. <laughs> it's just between you and me, in between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful ass a long time ago. And by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever fuck things up like this. So, 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 if, if, if there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit, which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another mindless religious robot, mindlessly and, and aimlessly and blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky incompetent father figure who doesn't give a shit, I decided to look around for something else to worship. Something I could really count on. And immediately, I thought of the sun. I think the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to 10. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told. So they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around, God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why ten? Why not nine or eleven? I'll tell you why. Because ten sounds official. Ten sounds important. They knew if it was eleven, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, so what, are you kidding me? The 11 commandments? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but 10, 
Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. <laughs> and to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. <laughs> Sabbath... Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods. Spooky language. <laughs> Spooky language. Designed to scare and control primitive people. In no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. You throw out the first three commandments, whoosh, you're down to seven. Next, honor thy father and mother. Obedience, respect for authority just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parent's performance. Parent's performance. Right? Some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, we're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing, and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior, in this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind, and I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? <laughs> but, but marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one, thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing, thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. <laughs> Am I right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays Oh Come All Ye Faithful. <laughs> you want to get one too. <laughs> Coveting creates jobs. Leave it alone. You throw out coveting and you're down to two now, the big honesty and fidelity commandment, and the one we haven't talked about yet, thou shalt not kill, murder, the fifth commandment. But when you think about it, <laughs> when you think about it, religion has never really had a big problem with murder. 
Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do... Uh huh. All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center to see how seriously the religious folks take Thou Shalt Not Kill. The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable. It's negotiable. You know? It depends. It depends. It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. Thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie, and thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone, unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. Two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Department. In the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I got to tell you the truth, folks. I got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the Invisible Man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you, and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I've got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. 
Velshi in for Lawrence O'Donnell. Trade wars are easy to win. That's what President Trump tweeted to his supporters earlier this year before he actually started a trade war with Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. That trade war continues, and now Donald Trump has started another one. The world's two biggest economies are now engaged in a trade war with the first shot fired by the president just after midnight Friday morning. Donald Trump imposed tariffs on $34 billion worth of Chinese goods coming into the United States, including aircraft parts, heavy machinery, medical equipment, and diesel-powered trucks and buses. China's foreign ministry immediately accused the president of violating world trade rules and launching the largest trade war in economic history and imposed its own tariffs on $34 billion worth of American goods, including soybeans, beef, pork, poultry, seafood, automobiles, and whiskey. And that might be just the first volley in a long fight. 
The president told reporters Thursday that he had already prepared tariffs on an additional $16 billion worth of Chinese goods and says he's willing to put tariffs on as much as $500 billion worth of Chinese goods, which would be roughly equivalent to every single Chinese import into America. The first people to lose if the Trump trade war goes wrong are going to be the people who elected Donald Trump. Let me show you a map. This shows where China's retaliatory tariffs will hurt the most. The counties in dark colors will feel the greatest pain in their local industries because of the tariffs. As you can see, most of those counties are dark red, meaning they voted for Donald Trump. According to the Wall Street Journal, almost 20% of the counties that voted for the tr Donald Trump will see more than 25% of their economies affected by the tariffs, while only 3% of the counties that voted Clinton will feel the same impact. Some of those Trump supporters say they are willing to bet the farm, literally, on President Trump's trade war, but farmers work on razor-thin margins and they fear that they'll be ruined if the fight drags on for too long. One farmer in Michigan telling NBC News today, quote, the banks are not going to keep writing checks to save your farm. For some family farms, one season could be the death of them. An owner of the largest family-owned pork producer in the United States telling CNBC the farm industry has been, quote, asked to be good patriots. We have been, but I don't want to be the patriot who dies at the end of the war. And here was the reaction in Maine's lobster industry, which today woke up to new tariffs on its annual exports of more than $100 million worth of lobster to China. Some workers in Maine whose livelihoods depend on that industry spoke to NBC's Vaughn Hilliard. We have enough challenges already with the prices of fuel. The prices of bait have gone up. And we just didn't need another challenge like this right now. So now the concern with these tariffs being placed right now by China is? That we will lose a crucial part of the markets that we've developed over the years here in Maine. Uh, losing sales and revenue for our company, possibly making us uh, eliminate jobs. I'm hopeful that what he's doing is going to end up in the long run being great for everyone. But right now... How confident people, are you that that's going to... Not, not very, not very right now. And so Donald Trump has created economic uncertainty across wide, across wide swaths of the United States today. Neither, the America, uh, neither America nor China have shown any signs of backing down so far, and no one is quite sure what happens next. One piece from Reuters today suggests ominously the conflict is likely to escalate beyond trade and into curbed visas for Chinese students, toughened vetting of foreign investment in China, and China imposing administrative punishments on American companies, all of which threaten to create more collateral damage in the Trump trade war. Joining us now is Jared Bernstein, a senior fellow at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. He was the chief economist and economic policy advisor to Vice President Biden. Also joining us, David Korn, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones, co-author of the book Russian Roulette and an MSNBC political analyst. And Susan Del Percio is a Republican strategist and an MSNBC political analyst. Welcome to all of you on a Friday night. Uh, Susan, let me start with you. Uh, this is, Republicans were always the ones shouting, let's just reduce trade barriers, that the world is better if there's more trade. And look, that's a really, that's a hot topic that we can all debate, but President Trump is up against his own party on this one. He absolutely is, and many of his pe the people in his own party are up for re-election in four months. So while President Xi, who's the president for life,
can play a long game mm-hmm. on this. I mean, China typically does. The president has to worry about not just uh, his election, but the election coming up in four months. How long can they hold on? Like you said, they go from season to season. And then just also on the strategy part of this, and you actually probably know better than I do, it seems that this should be all about the intellectual property aspect of That's it. That's the issue why are we Right. And so why are, we, why are we hurting our own people? Because one thing we know is that Donald Trump has not actually said what he wants as a result of mm-hmm. this trade war. And that's what's going to be more confusing. He has this nebulous discussion about fairness. Jared Bernstein, I have to tell you, Vaughn Hilliard and our other reporters are out there. They've been out there for weeks talking to whiskey producers and pork producers and uh, lobstermen in, in Maine today. And I will say one thing. In those Trump counties... These uh, folks that we're talking to seem to take some satisfaction in the president taking a tough line. To Susan's point, we're not quite sure where this tough line goes, but Donald Trump has not lost support among a lot of his base by doing this. Yeah, I think that's true because remember, he ran on the proposition that some of our trading partners are cheating us. And when it comes to trade with China, and Susan just mentioned this, there are ways in which the Chinese have been guilty of unfair trading practices. Part of that has been intellectual property, but part of that has been manipulating their currency to make their exports to us cheaper than our imports to them. So people who have been involved in tradable good businesses for many years, they recognize that. The problem is, and the two of you were just getting at that, These tariffs won't have that impact. These tariffs are going to hurt many more Americans than they're going to help. And I feel great sympathy for some of those folks who are talking about the possibility that, you know, maybe this will help. Because at least as far as I and every other economist on all sides of the aisle sees this down the road, this isn't the way to go about it. It's a very misguided strategy. It's going to lead to higher prices, slower growth. And by the way, you say you're not sure what Donald Trump's goal. His ultimate goal is to reduce the trade deficit. I don't think it's going to do that either. Let me uh, talk about what Donald Trump said last night in Montana. Uh, he, he often misstates David Korn. He often misstates the trade deficit with China. He always called it $500 billion. I've measured this many times. It's about $336 billion. That's actually a very big mistake to make, and they know that they're wrong, but they keep doing it. But here's what he said about it. Let's listen. We have all the cards. We're the bank that everybody's stealing from. I respect China, and I respect President Xi. But they've been killing us. $507 billion in trade deficits last year. 507. Who the hell can lose 500? Then you want to do something about it, you get attacked. Oh, that's not nice. That's not free trade. The war was lost on trade many years ago. You know, when they were saying, not a free trader, I said, no, no. The war was lost, but now we're going to win it. And because we have all the cards. So David Korn, he says the war was lost on trade many years ago. The issue, though, with trade globally is that when you trade with people, you're probably less likely to make war with them, and they tend to be your allies in other areas. And at this point, it's a little unusual because we've opened up on many fronts. We're fighting with our allies. We're fighting with our enemies. Mm-hmm. We're trying to make a deal with North Korea. Uh, we're Apparently, we're doing something with Russia uh, on the 15th. We're not clear exactly what that is. Uh, and we're pulling out of the Iran deal. So th- there's more to this than whether we lost or won a war on trade? It's chaos. I mean, the president you know, says that Putin is fine 
and then he attacks Justin Trudeau, and his chief trade advisor says there's a special place in hell for Justin Trudeau, a remark that he had to apologize for. I mean, I go back to, like, the old Batman movie, The Joker. The Joker likes chaos. It seems that the president has almost a psychological need to create crises. He's not going about this trade policy in a reasonable, rational way, That even, whether his advice is from conservative uh, economists or progressive economists like Jared. Um, he is just do, going pell-mell in a way that seems a blunderbuss attack on trade with our allies, trade with our competitors, in a way that's going to, I think, work to the advantage of China and even work to the advantage of Russia and harming um, Americans in the, in, in the short run, if not the long run. Farmers can't go too long when, you know, in taking these hits. A lot of them live season to season. So I, I don't know what his end game is. I just know that psychologically, it looks like he's lashing out and creating a storm because he feels a need to do that. Uh, you make an interesting point, by the way. This does create an advantage for Russia because all of those things that the Chinese are not going to buy because um, because they've got tariffs on from America, mm -hmm. i.e. soybeans, they're getting some of it from Brazil. But this is an opportunity from Russia uh, for whom we're trying to control uh, their expansion. They now get to sell more goods. Uh, but they also they also get hard currency. They get hard it, currency. It, it, it makes it easier for them to get around yes. the sanctions that we've imposed. Correct. It's great for Russia. Uh, Susan, Oxford Economics uh, predicts that if President Trump follows through on his threats, it could would actually reduce world trade by 4% and wipe away four-tenths uh, four of a percentage point of GDP, which equals about $800 billion. So there's more to this, and this is why our allies are upset about it. I mean, you're, we're actually costing everybody money. And I, I, you know, I remind people, it was many years ago, yeah, but the U.S. sent the world into an economic tailspin uh, in 2008. We do have to be cautious about these things. Absolutely, and there's one other thing to consider. As we start this, tra this uh, war with, trade war with China, we also apparently, the Trump president also wants to end government. NAFTA. He has problems with the European Union. He's even drafted legislation to get rid of the World Trade Organization. Mm -hmm. And it kind of begs the question, he's trying to dissolve all of these things. What deal has he actually dealt? He has not made the economy better for the exactly. people who are going to suffer as a result of these tariffs. And he's not making exactly. any trade deals whatsoever. So that's the bigger. That's, yes, that's there's no way. Like right? there's, right. no, there's nowhere that this is. So where do you go? Where, what, do you, what do you think you're going to get? When you hear the president of the United States say everything's okay with North Korea now, we have a deal, people laugh at that. And they know that he, you can't take him on his word. So how these farmers and manufacturers can rely on Donald Trump, it doesn't make sense. And that's how the rest of our the, the world is looking at us that we do. Yeah. But Jared, you yeah. go yeah. ahead. He's a, he's I think a there's actually even a more fundamental problem, or at least a more fundamental yeah, problem is misunderstanding.
Republicans are up to something, folks. We don't quite know what they're up to, but they are up to something. <laughs> uh, they're trying to, you know, they lost a little bit of power during the midterms. Mid, Midwestern Republicans tried to kneecap new, Democrat, new Democratic governors. Yeah, uh, the Republicans are up to something. They're up to no good. They're trying to find a way to get back in office. They're trying to find a way to stay in office. They're cheating. They're lying. They're gerrymandering. There's, they are uh, crisscrossing and, and, and just screwing up their district to try to keep people from voting. It's always voter suppression with these jackasses. Lame duck Republicans legislature in two Midwestern states where Democrats seize key offices in November are trying to kneecap the incoming leaders and change election rules aiming at aiming to consolidate GOP power despite the election results. In Wisconsin, Republicans aim to limit early voting, change the date, change the date of the state's presidential primary to help conservative member uh, a conservative member of the Wisconsin Supreme Court win re-election, limit the governor's ability to make certain appointments, and block governor-elect Tony Evers from uh, eliminating a uh, eliminating a state uh, economic development agency from el- eliminating. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the Republicans are are trying to, even though they lost, they are still trying to kneecap. I, I I'm assuming in Wisconsin, uh, the legislature is controlled controlled controlled. Easy for me to say, right? Controlled by Republicans, and in both states, the lawmakers are mimicking what happened in North Carolina in 2016 after Governor Roy Cooper, a Democrat, ousted Republican Pat McElroy. Before Cooper took office, the GOP-dominated legislature, yeah, moved in to limit his power to make to make appointments, and it has since consistently tried to alter the election rules to help Republicans. They, they, the Republicans, they have no gall for cheating. I mean, cheating is what they're about, and they do it out in the open. They don't try to hide their shenanigans. They don't try to hide their corruption. Their their uh, uh, criminal activities. They don't try to hide it. It's out there in the public. Uh, if you have um, governor controlled, I mean, if if you have uh, if your legislature in your state is controlled by Republicans and you have a Democratic governor, they're gonna cut his feet out of out from under him. He he's not gonna be able to do anything. Anything he tries to do, they can override it. And they can make it so hard for other people to vote. That's a damn shame in uh, in Wisconsin and, and another state. Um, it's going to be up to the people. It's going to be up to the folks of those states. I mean, you got a lot of states around in Mississippi, Georgia, that are being circumvented. People of these states, you have to rise up and take back your state. That's the only thing. That's the only way this is going to happen. The people are going to try to uh, 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 take back their states. And a lot of these uh, Republican states, a lot of these red states, people are moving out 
of some of these states. They are moving from these red states. They're settling in blue states. They're moving away, and I couldn't blame them. I would, I would not want to live in a red state. No way, no how. You could not get me to live in a red state. Because, you know, I mean, if you got a, a, a Republican governor, more than likely, you know, uh, you, you're fucked. Because Republicans are thinking of one thing, staying in power. And they will cheat, 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 cheat to do that. There's no law against cheating. There's no law against lying. There's no law against conniving and being corrupt. It depends on how much corruption and what kind of corruption. But certain kind of corruption, it's not, uh, it's not a um, crime to cheat or to lie, which it should be. It should be a chunk. It should be. But these Republicans, I mean, they are not going to quit. Even though they lose, they're still going to find a way to win by cheating, especially if they hold any kind of control. And I think, and I think in some of these states where you have a, a Republican legislature, people didn't vote. They didn't vote. But anyway, uh, when you, the House of Representatives in your state, just like the House of Representatives in America, in Washington, these people serve only two years, only two fucking years. You can vote their asses straight up and straight out. But the Republicans, they are in control of the, West, of the Wisconsin legislature, and they're going to try and change things. And they can do it. They can do it because uh, they're equal – they're equal body just as the governorship. They're just as equal. So, you know, they can turn shit around. They can make things worse for you. But uh, there's no doubt about it. Just like we uh, put a blue wave on their asses in, in Washington, you're going to have to put a blue wave on their asses in your state, Wisconsin, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas. You're going to have to – it's up to the folks. It's up to you, the voters. And in some cases, it's going to take more than just a blue wave. It's going to take some kicking them up their asses because these people are crooks. They're thugs. They're, they're, they don't care. And it just breaks my heart to see that there are still Republicans who are still trying to cheat, lie, and spread bullshit and suppress the vote, gerrymandering, trying to keep you from voting. Because they know if you vote, their asses will not get in. So I'm hoping that people in, in Wisconsin and a lot of these other states rise up against these fuckers. They're thugs. And I've said this many, many a times. Republicans should never, ever be elected to any other office nowhere in America. They're all thugs. They're crooks. They're just no good for America, period. And you think because you don't hear anything now, and I'm, I'm in the Midwest. I live in the Midwest, and this is saying that mid, mid, Midwestern Republicans try to kneecap new Democratic governors. Fortunately, here us in Illinois, we have a Democratic governor and we have a Democratic legislature. But uh, in, in a lot of states, it's not like that. See, when 
majority of these states have a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature, it's going to be nothing but gridlock. Gridlock. He he will not be able to get anything done because he'll have to work with them, and they will not want to work with him. So we have to. Our job is just starting. This is just starting. Your Republicans will not quit, and we will not quit. We will throw their jackasses out onto the pavement to where they belong. To where they belong. Wisconsin has got an African it has an African American governor but it's got a, a, a red legislature so there's nothing gonna there's nothing there will be nothing but gridlock gridlock if the governor try to propose something for the people the Republicans are gonna knock it down if the Republicans try to propose something that goes against the people the governor is going to knock it down. See, we have states like Wisconsin aren't going to go anywhere because of gridlock. But lame duck Republican legislatures in two Midwestern states where Democrats seize key House offices in November are trying to kneecap the incoming leaders and change election rules. They're trying to change election rules. And they don't care who knows. They don't care who knows. They don't care. They don't care who knows that they're cheating, that they're thugging. I'm just hoping that people in these Midwestern towns where these Republicans are trying to change the name of the game, they want it to be and how they want it to be, stand up and say, this is not going to fucking happen. This is the, the, these are the election rules. This is where they're going to stay. Because in order to change election rules, you're going to need the governor's signature or something, you know. And you're going to need so many votes and votes and votes to do that, aiming to consolidate GOP power despite the election results. They're still trying to cheat. They're still trying to cheat, folks. And I'm just hoping that the, um, the Michigan GOP and the Wisconsin GOP – See the light, but they won't. But I'm hoping that the folks in those states stand up and and, and say this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. Vote out all Republicans. They need to be gone. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to take a an early um uh, in the show early because there's something that's pressing that I have to. That I have to get to, and there is no one uh, that I know that can, you know, sit in for me right now. You know, everybody's <laughs> thinking about Christmas, right? Yeah, that's another thing. Christmas is coming up. Christmas is coming. I'm going to say Merry Christmas uh, to all of those folks out there who believe in Christmas. Because a lot of folks out there do not believe in Christmas for whatever reason. Uh, some, well, we, our religion. Well, that's that's you. That's up to you. But anyway. Uh, we're going to take an early hiatus off the show, folks, because, uh, you know, the, something has come up. And we will let's see if we can't just let's see. All right. George Wilder Jr. show will be off the air and I'll, you know, I'll get back tomorrow. 
we have to try and uh, get some things done right now. There's something, something's pressing that need needing my attention, and I don't trust nobody to actually to do the show the way I the way I do it. And um, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. Take uh, make make sure you. Um, do the right thing. Keep yourself safe. Keep yourself wonderful. And the George Wilder Jr. Show will be back tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. I'll help you see